I always seem to carry a lot of stuff up with me when I come up to the front here. And I'm always frightened I'm going to drop it and make a complete fool of myself. Well, I'll probably do that anyway, but uh, that's beside the way. Psalm 73. I hope I don't sound... Uh, there's more on my... Is that better? I hope I don't sound too depressing this morning, too too, too sombre. But I wonder how often you find life getting you down. Life getting you down. Maybe worries, worries about your health, worries about your family, worries about your job, worries about uh, your finances, and a myriad of other things that we can all worry about. Perhaps sometimes it goes beyond worry. You actually find yourself, or those who are very close to you, going through hard times, times that seem to go on and on and on, uh, never ending. And in those moments, perhaps you uh, reflect on your position as a Christian, as a position as a child of God, as part of God's family. And perhaps at those times you might feel uh, and ask yourself, why should this be? Why should this be? Doesn't God care? Doesn't he promise that he'll never leave me? Uh, so why is it that I suffer? Why is it that I suffer? And even worse, and perhaps this is the rub that often hurts the most, as I look around at those people who have clearly rejected God, who dismiss his claims, who ride roughshod over uh, his laws. They often seem to go from strength to strength, uh, from success to success, apparently never facing the problems that we face, that I, that I face, always on top of things. I wonder if you ever feel like that. I must say it's a thought that's gone through my mind on, on a few occasions. Uh, not a lot, but on a few occasions. And you know, as I've done that, as I've thought like that, I've felt quite guilty, quite guilty. And yet, you know, as I read the pages of Scripture, as I read in the Bible, I find that that state of mind is not really that unusual. Listen to these words from Psalm 13. And the Psalms, uh, they're marvellous books, aren't they? How they reflect uh, the spirit of, of the human uh, psyche in so many ways. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Or how about Psalm 44? Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? The psalm uh, that we've uh, read part of it, and you might like to have your Bibles open uh, at the whole of the psalm. You know, that's another case in point. It's a lovely psalm. It's one of my favourite psalms, I have to say, because it's so true to the human spirit, to the human psyche, where the writer takes us through all those emotions uh, that I've been talking about. But he doesn't do it in a negative a negative way because he doesn't leave us with the problems he talks the problems out 
And he takes us on to answers, to resolutions to such thoughts, such emotions, such problems that we face. You know, the answers don't uh, necessarily take us out of our troubles and problems, but what they do do is they identify the real comfort, the real consolation uh, that God's children can have, you and me, as we've uh, travelled through those, those very dark times. So let the words of Scripture speak for themselves. I don't know whether... Um, Keith, we could have the uh, uh, psalm up on the, uh, on the board, if that's possible. Board, that's not right, is it? A screen. Uh, you can see that I live in the dark ages. Um, so, so let's just go through them. Uh, and I expect... Uh, um, uh, can you go back? Is it possible to go back to the beginning, uh, Keith? Right from the first verse. Don't worry, we're not going to be here for uh, three hours. Perhaps two and a half, but not three. (laughs) The psalm starts very positively, doesn't it? Truly, God is good. Surely, God is good. What the psalmist is about to write will demonstrate the struggle that he's had. He's had in his heart. But after the struggle, after the struggle, he can begin with an affirmation. Truly, God is good. Truly, God... Yes, surely, God is good. Good to Israel. Good to his people. Good to those who are pure in heart. To those who are pure in heart. There's an echo of that, isn't there, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew's Gospel. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Just, just consider that for a moment. We read elsewhere in Scripture, don't we, that nobody can see God and live. So how can this be? Perhaps there's another psalm which uh, gives us a clue, Psalm 24, a very well-known psalm. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Vindication. Have a restored relationship, a right relationship with God. Be vindicated. And because of uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ did at Calvary, we can be vindicated. We can be Vindicated, the wonder of our Saviour, the, the divine Jesus, the human Jesus who paid the ultimate price uh, for our sinfulness, for our impurity, separated from his Father, descending to the very depths of hell itself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he conquered that death, that death of death, so that we can be able to see God through Christ, now through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also eventually, eventually in eternity when we come to live with our Heavenly Father. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I expect you all to say amen to that. (laughs) It's wonderful, isn't it, that we will see the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. The wonder of that, the truth, the reality of that. 
How does the Apostle John put it in 1 John 1 verse 7? It's made possible because the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us, purifies us from all sin. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Makes you quite emotional, doesn't it, when you actually think about that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Indeed, as has already been said this morning, God is good to those who are pure in heart. As the opening verse of Psalm 73 puts it, God is good to those who are pure in heart. You know, let's never forget that. Whatever the circumstances may be at the time, God is good to his children. And we need to continually affirm that to the benefit of our own souls, let alone anything else. As another psalm puts it, Psalm 100, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. His faithfulness continues through all generations. But you know, perhaps that's easier said easier voice and actually experienced within when we go through those dark times and the psalmist recognises this doesn't it doesn't he verse 2 but as for me as for me my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold so what he's saying here is I know God is good I knew God was good but there have been times when I've found it hard to hold on to such truths. Indeed, so much so that I've very nearly fallen away. And especially when I've looked around at those uh, around me, at, at others at such times. Verses 3 to 5. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued with human ills. So many of these people who are not God's children, have no time for God, appear successful, appear successful, prosperous, healthy and strong. They seem to have none of the burdens that the psalmist, that perhaps we carry with us. There's also a sense in the passage that such good fortune is continuous and lasting, indeed even in death. For that's the original sense of verse 4, they suffer no pain. No wonder the psalmist, in his desolate moments, envies such people. People whose character and behaviour mirrors the darkness of their heart. Just look at the next half dozen verses or so, as the psalmist describes this. They were open and blatant in their sin. They almost wear it like their rich, extravagant clothing. Verse 6, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. Verse 7, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their mind knows no limits. And their conversation, their conversation simply demonstrates the hardness of their hearts. Verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance, they threaten oppression. And they're so pumped up with their own self-importance and arrogance that blasphemous claims hold no barriers to them. Verse 9, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongue takes possession of the earth. And such blasphemy 
is promoted to those around them. Verses 10 to 11, the people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? Or as the NEB puts it, I think quite well, what does God know? The Most High neither knows nor cares. What does God know? The Most High neither knows nor cares. And such people, rejecting God, blaspheming God because of their success, even because of their confident arrogance, attract others, attract others, and lead them away from God. You know, this is so realistic, it seems to me, so realistic, so up-to-date, so characteristic of how the human heart uh, operates, so characteristic of our modern secular and materialistic society. Listen to the words of Richard Dawkins. A case can be made that faith is one of the world's greatest evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. My goodness. The psalmist has to admit to himself that even God's own people are lured away. For the original Hebrew, in the verse 10, reads, therefore his people... His people turn to them. Even those who are God's own possession are being tempted to evil and corrupt practices. Because of the success, because of the success of such arrogant, godless people. You know, even ourselves, you and me, can be tempted away from God. You know, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? A sobering, sobering thought. No wonder the writer almost slipped as we read, almost lost his foothold when he saw the prosperity of the wicked and envied them. Those who've rejected God seem to go on from strength to strength. While the psalmist, his reward of a life dedicated to God, verse 13, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocent. He's continued in trouble and pain. Hardly a reward for someone who, who has clean hands and a pure heart. For as the psalmist goes on, verse 14, all day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. You know, here the, the psalmist is feeling very alone, very desolate, very remote from God. And yet, verse 15, to his credit, the psalmist holds his tongue. He doesn't actually voice his anguish of heart in consideration of God's children. He keeps his doubts to himself. But as he pondered these things on his own, within his own heart and mind, and when he tried to make sense of it, it seemed to trouble him even more. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. All pretty depressive stuff, isn't it? Pretty, uh, uh, I hope you are not starting to cry and you go home, to home totally depressed this morning. It does get better. It does get better. You know, I wonder if you've ever felt a resonance with the psalmist as he's opened his heart in this psalm. You know, if we are honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, isn't there a ring of familiarity here? a real expression of our hearts at times of pain and suffering. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. 
It was oppressive to me. As I say, it's all pretty, pretty depressing, depressing stuff. But it seems to me honest, honest to the human heart. But now the psalm changes. Now the psalm changes. Verse 17 is a turning point. And in the remainder of the psalm, we see it moving from, from puzzlement to understanding, from sadness to joy, from unrest to peace with God, from doubt and desolation to confident assurance. seems to me the first part of verse 17 is the crucial point in the psalm. Previously, the psalmist was weighed down as he pondered all the negative things that he had pondered. He reaches this point, and the weight of truth that he now considers pushed the scales back to a true understanding, to a restored relationship, because that's what it's really all about. Uh, that relationship was missing uh, with his Heavenly Father. It was all oppressive to me, verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God till I entered the sanctuary of God then I understand their destiny and then I understand the psalmist turned his head away from the ground he then started to fix his glaze on God himself as he looked away from the world even from himself for answers as he entered the sanctuary of God then he began to understand again. You know, it seems to me that here is a principle that demands all our attention. All our attention. You know, all of us pass through dark times, don't we, in all sorts of ways. And the truth here in verse 17 is that at those dark times in particular, we must take all those dark experiences into the sanctuary of the Lord for him to deal with take them into the sanctuary of the Lord now how do we work that thought out in practice in our daily lives to the readers of the psalm when it was first written the picture would have been very clear the sanctuary was where the Lord appeared to his people the place where he caused his name to dwell as it's uh, described in the Old Testament the place of worship. And of course to the people of the Old Testament this became enshrined in the tabernacle and the temple in the Holy of Holies. When we come to the New Testament under the new covenant of grace we see the immediacy and the intimacy that has been released through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at Calvary. A sanctuary relationship with God we can have through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me suggest, and you can probably come up with uh, a few more ideas, but let me suggest a few practical ways in which we can experience and encourage this. Well, of course, be regular and constant in coming into God's house to worship, like we've done today, or even on Zoom uh, and YouTube in these strange times. Meeting our Heavenly Father, but not meeting on our own, meeting in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can enter the sanctuary of God at any time. You know, that's the glory of the new covenant as we read God's word. 
as we hear him speaking to us through his word, we enter the sanctuary of God. The 15th and 16th century theologian Erasmus, he once said this of the scriptures, they will give Christ to you in an intimacy so close that he would be less visible if he stood before your eyes. Let me read that to you again. They will give Christ to you in an intimacy so close that he would be less visible if he stood before your eyes. We can see God, our Saviour, through the power uh, of Scripture, through the Bible. But also, as we come to him through our Lord Jesus Christ, in prayer and meditation, we enter the sanctuary of God. When Kinga was praying, we were entering the sanctuary of God. You know, perhaps uh, even as we meditate on God's marvellous creation, you know, that inspired psalmists and, and hymn writers, and poets, musicians, down the years we enter the sanctuary of God. There are those marvellous moments, aren't there, when, when you're out in the countryside on a beautiful day and you just feel the presence of God when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees when I look down from mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Then sings my soul, then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And as God's children, saved by his grace, inspired by the Holy Spirit, our counsellor, our comforter, you know we're never outside of the sanctuary of God. Even during those dark times, when God seems so far away, we can be confident that he's still there. You know, our Heavenly Father never leaves us, never leaves us. And when we fix our eyes on our Saviour, the more and more of the puzzles of life and pains of life begin to be understood. Not that those pains and trials will necessarily go away immediately. Scripture makes that abundantly clear, doesn't it? But in his sanctuary, close to our Heavenly Father, we realise that we are indeed in our Lord's eternal, sovereign and loving hands. And that as a result, he carries us through all those pains and trials of life. As Paul put it in that magnificent chapter 8 of Romans, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of, from the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not even bashes in the floor. You know, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. But those wicked people in Psalm 73 spoke about that the, he, the psalmist spoke about that had almost begun to he'd almost begun to envy they would flourish for just a season and in the light of their ultimate destiny he realised uh, when he'd been thinking about it he'd been rather silly he'd been rather silly verse 22 the psalm ends with a marvellous song of triumph to God it really is lovely, a song of reassurance, a song of peace and joy, a song of comfort and consolation, a song of uh, security and love. 
Indeed, I suppose, all those marvellous qualities that are conjured up in the word sanctuary. Just listen again to those concluding words. I'm going to read them from the uh, New Living Translation. Verse 23 onwards. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Our glorious destiny. Isn't that marvellous? Our glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. As for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. You know, let's take the challenge of that last phrase, that last sentence to heart. I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. You know, people out there are dying. They're dying spiritually. They're lost without a saviour. I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. We've just come back from, uh, from holiday. And where we stay, uh, there's a lifeboat moored uh, in the estuary, close to the shore, in the Sorkham estuary. And amongst all the numerous uh, pleasure crafts that it's there, it's right in the middle of them. Um, yachts and motorboats, rowing boats and uh, uh, rubber inflatable uh, boats and so on, ready at any moment to launch out to save anybody who's in trouble. Now whilst we must never see God simply waiting for emergency calls like the RNLI to dig, to dig us out of any problems uh, that we may be in, the fact remains that he is our lifesaver. He's their lifesaver. There's a small ferry boat uh, that we used to use uh, in Dartmouth. We haven't been there for some time, and I don't know if this particular ferry boat is still running. It runs from uh, the town out to the castle that's at the mouth of the estuary. And printed in the front, inside the boat, uh, was written Romans 10:13. Romans 10:13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't think the ferryman was giving advice to anybody who actually fell into the river. What he was saying was something much more serious than that. His motive was much more serious than that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we can come up with all sorts of similar analogies concerning the path to salvation. But you know, analogies do lead uh, to true truths. And those last words of Psalm 73 should be forever in our minds to challenge and encourage us, but to challenge and encourage others. As for me, it was good to be near God. I've made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell everyone, I will tell everyone the wonderful things you do. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths that we find in your uh, wonderful word as you speak to us. We thank you that we can come into your sanctuary uh, and be at peace and secure, knowing that that sanctuary will continue on into eternity. Lord, help us uh, to be ready to tell others about your love and all that you uh, do for humankind. Amen.